Hello, welcome back to another edition of the Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, Impact Wrestling, and I am here to cover the G1 Climax Finals, because we do now know who will be going to Wrestle Kingdom to challenge for the IWGP World Championship. So having said all that, let's start the show. We start off with Monday Night Raw. Raw will open up with the Judgment Day. We have Rhea Ripley, Dominic Mysterio, and Damian Priest. No Finn Balor. There will be conflicting issues here because Finn isn't out there with them. Damian Priest will be out here talking about how Finn should be out here with them. Talking about what he's going to do to Cody Rose later in the night. But he isn't. This will insert J.D. McDonough who's Finn Balor's friend, and JD will say that he came out here to deliver a message from Finn to the Judgment Day. JD will say that Finn told them that they don't need to worry about Cody and Sammy. Since JD took care of Sammy last week, that's when Rhea Ripley will cut JD off and tell JD that they don't take orders from anyone and tell JD to leave the ring and deliver a message to Finn and tell him that the Judgment Day need to have a talk. That's when Sami Zayn will come out. Sami Zayn will go down to get some retribution from JD McDonough after JD attacked him last week. And as Sami Zayn was beating up on JD, JD will look at the Judgment Day who's in the ring, but they will not help JD at all. So this will lead to a match between Sami Zayn and JD McDonough to start off Monday Night Raw. And Sami Zayn would win the match by pinfall when he would hit the Haluva kick. After Finn Balor tried to get himself involved in the match and tried to help out J.D. McDonough, but again, to no avail. It just didn't work. Now, after this, we will go to Imperium. Imperium would come out, and Gunther would stand on the commentary table. Gunther would talk about Chad Gable being the number one contender for the Intercontinental Championship. He would praise Chad Gable for being a hard-working wrestler, an Olympic wrestler, and being one of the best wrestlers in the WWE. However, Gunther has done more in his last year than Chad Gable has done in his career, and Chad Gable isn't going to beat Gunther to take the Intercontinental Championship. That's when Chad Gable and the rest of Alpha Academy, Otis and Maxine Dupree, will come out. Chad Gable will talk about how Gunther is on the clock because he has 25 days until he breaks the record for the Intercontinental Championship as long as reigning champion, but Chad Gable hopes to take that away from him. Um, we would get into a match between Giovanni Vinci going against Chad Gable. Chad Gable will win the match by pinfall, hitting the Chaos Theory for the win. After the match, Gunther not being happy, he says this is not how the night will end. So Gunther would challenge Chad Gable's friend Otis to a match right now. And Gunther and Otis would have their match. Gunther would win the match by powerbomb. And after the match, Chad Gable would try to come in. Gunther would try to hit Chad Gable with a clothesline. Chad would duck it. And then you would see Chad Gable hit Gunther with a German suplex and send him out of the ring. And that's how this segment would end with Chad Gable getting some momentum. And we will later learn from a backstage vignette or segment uh, from Imperium. Gunther wasn't happy with Giovanni Vinci losing to uh, Chad Gable. And also Ludwig Kaiser being infatuated with Maxine. He's not too happy about any of that and he lets them know that next week he plans on changing all of their misfortunes is that he's going to be challenging Chad Gable 
for their Intercontinental Championship match next week. So we have that match set up. Also, we would get a backstage uh, situation between the Judgment Day. Uh, you see Damian Priest and Finn, they have their little squabble as usual. Uh, JD, he comes in, he tries to talk to Finn. And again, Priest, not really feeling JD Madonna at all, tells him to get out of here because this is Judgment Day business. Rhea Ripley would get in between Finn and Priest. Finn would tell JD he'll speak to him later. That's when JD would go about his business. Rhea would tell them that they need to quit acting like children because right now the Judgment Day has a real possibility to run the WWE. But right now, again, Finn and Priest acting like children is not going to happen. So Finn would say, you know what? You're right. It's not about me and JD. It's not about you guys and JD. It's about all of us. So, Finn says tonight in his match with Cody Rhodes, he's going to show everyone that the Judgment Day is together and cohesive. And now it seems that morale is up with the Judgment Day. You'll see Finn and Priest fist bump each other and everybody seems good. But we will have to see what happens in the main event to see if the Judgment Day is completely together as one cohesive unit. Now, we will go to a tag team match. The Viking Raiders going against Matt Riddle and Drew McIntyre because Riddle needed a tag partner. And McIntyre told Riddle that if you can't find a tag partner, I might just be a partner. So that's how we get to this match here. Riddle and McIntyre would win by pinfall when McIntyre would use a Claymore kick on Ivar to win the match. Solid tag match up here. Um, after this, we go backstage. The New Day's back here. The New Day's holding chairs. And they're making references to the Montgomery uh, brawl, the boating incident that happened last week. And then we finally get into the business, the meet at hand. You have Riddle, who's speaking for Drew and himself, saying that they want to go after the tag team titles. New Day, they're not really feeling that. They said next week, how about we have a match to see who's really in line to go after the tag team championships, and the match will be made. Now, important thing to really note here, Drew McIntyre, as I said already, he was not speaking because Riddle kept on trying to cut him off before Drew can actually say anything. And I feel that next week, we're probably going to get Drew probably kicking Riddle's face off. Because Drew McIntyre, he seemed that he wasn't really too like enthusiastic to be around Riddle. Because Riddle has that kind of personality that he talks a little too much. That the superstars doesn't like. And Drew, he just seems like he wants to be on his own and not really in a team thing. But he's kind of stuck here right now. But I can see next week... Drew might kick Riddle's face off, but we might be planning for some long term if they don't do that next week. But we have the New Day going against Drew McIntyre and uh, Riddle, Matt Riddle, next week. Now, after this, we have Rhea Ripley with Dominic Mysterio in her corner going against Indy Hartwell, who had Candice LeRae in her corner. Rhea Ripley would win the match by pinfall, hitting the rip tie for the win. After the match, Candice will get in the ring and start hitting Rhea. Rhea will overturn it because she's powerful than Candice and start beating up on Candice until Indy would make the save. Indy will hit a flapjack and then Candice would follow it up with a step up senton. And then you see both Candice LeRae and Indy Hardwell both leave the ring. I'm glad to see Rhea Ripley finally have a match on freaking WWE television programming. It's been a minute since she's had a match. I think the last time she had like a legit genuine match was probably what, NXT? And I think it was against Lyra Valkyria, what, just two weeks ago, a week ago, one or the two. But on the main roster bit, it's been a minute. So I was happy to see her have her match here. And also, it was a minute to see Indy have a match too. So Indy having a match and is against the uh, world's women's champion is a great look. And to see Candice and Indy both come out on the 
opposite end, at least getting the up on Rhea, that means something down the line, at least in my uh, opinion. Now, next up, we will have Shinsuke Nakamura. Nakamura will be out here to explain why he attacked Seth Rollins last week. Nakamura will be speaking in Japanese, but out of all that, he will say that he wants the world championship. So then we have the world champion, Seth Rollins, coming out. Seth Rollins will come down to the ring. Seth will say that he isn't a hard man to find if Nakamura wanted a championship match. And he says that Nakamura isn't telling the whole truth. And instead of asking why Nakamura why, Seth doesn't really care about the whys. He just wants his pound of flesh from Nak. So Seth would say that he gives in to Nakamura's uh, determination and he gives him a world championship match. We do not know when that time in place will come. Seth will say that Nakamura will determine all of that. Seth would extend his hand for Nakamura to shake it. Nakamura would shake Seth's hand and then he would whisper something in Seth's ears. And this would put Seth off. Like, Seth's usually this uh, spontaneous, like, laughy type of guy, joker S style. But this time he didn't really have that situation or the little laughy whenever Nakamura got done like whispering something in his ear. He looked bugged out by it. And this will allow Nakamura to get the upper hand and hit Seth with the Kinshasa and lay Seth out. So we do know we will be getting Nakamura going against Seth for the World Heavyweight Championship sometime. I probably would think it's probably a payback because I don't think they're going to waste that match on a uh, free TV. So probably expect that match to happen at payback. Now, next up, Trish Stratus versus Becky Lynch, a match that did not happen on a pay-per-view. Um, that match would end in a double countout when both ladies would fight from inside the ring to outside of the ring and into the crowd and then up the stairs. Now, I must say this match was not nothing really to ride home about. I mean, yeah, sure, it's Becky and Trish, but it just wasn't, it didn't hit on Monday Night Raw. It just didn't, to be completely honest with you. There was nothing up there that was like, oh my God, Becky and Trish, I can see why this match should have been on SummerSlam. No, this match just didn't, for me, it didn't deliver. Um, I mean, it just wasn't it. Now, after the match, they will make their way into the crowd, da 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 up to the stairs, into the concession stand. You'll see Trish and Becky constantly fighting with each other. Uh, Becky will get the upper hand on Trish until a individual in a black hood and black cap would uh, attack Becky from behind, and it will be Zoe Stark. Zoe Stark is here. She's beating up on uh, Becky and helping out Trish, and then you have Trish and Zoe just leave Becky out. Now, we go backstage. We have Trish and Zoe walking backstage, and they're stopped by Adam Pierce. Pierce would tell Trish that, you know what? You keep on dodging out of your match with Becky week in and week out. So next time we have this match, you guys will be facing a golf against each other inside of a steel cage. So we have that. Trish versus Becky inside of a steel cage. Again, it was not confirmed when that match will happen, but I can expect it's probably going to be a payback. So expect that match to happen at payback. Now we move over to the main event. Cody Rhodes going against Finn Balor, who would have the Judgment Day in his corner because the Judgment Day would come out during the match. Cody. Cody would win the match by pinfall when the referee was distracted by Rhea Ripley after Finn Balor was trying to use a steel chair that Finn got from Dominic Mysterio. Now, when the referee is distracted by Rhea, you will see Finn tell Priest to 
slide in his Money in the Bank briefcase to him. And Damian Priest, he would slide it in, but it would go in between Finn's leg and Cody would pick it up. Cody would hit Finn in the head and then he would hit uh, Crossroads on Finn Balor, then pick up the win. Now, after the match, you would see all the Judgment Day come in there, start attacking Cody. Uh, Sami Zayn, he would come in with a steel chair, get Cody's back, beat up on Damian Priest, beat up on Dominic, beat up on Finn, until J.D. McDonough would come out and make the save, and he would beat up on uh, Sami Zayn. You would see Priest look at J.D., and Finn, he would have to look at Priest and just like nudge his shoulder like, hey, you better be glad that he's here. So now we have the Judgment Day and J.D. Madonna lay out both Cody Rhodes and Sami Zayn to end Monday Night Raw. So now we have a new power player of J.D. Madonna at least aligning himself with Judgment Day. Of course, we're going to have some mixed feeling between Priest because Priest, I don't think he likes J.D. because he made that comment last week about the Money in the Bank briefcase probably need to be getting rid of because that's causing a, a strained relationship between uh, Priest and Finn, but I can see Finn more than likely sticking with JD and trying to get him ingratiated in with the Judgment Day, but we'll have to wait and see what happens uh, next week on Monday Night Raw. But with that being said, that's how Monday Night Raw will end, and that is your Monday Night Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we move over to NXT, and NXT's episode was all about building towards next week's Heat Wave special presentation of NXT. And the first thing we will start off with is NXT Tag Team Championship match between D'Angelo and Stax going against the Dyad, who have Joe Gacy and Ava Rain in their corner, with members of Joe Gacy's crusade like in the crowd and also around the ringside area. Tony D'Angelo and Stax would retain their Tag Team Championships by pinfall thanks to the Creeds hiding under the Crusade's mask. Um, when Ivy Nile will come down to the ring, when Joe Gacy and Ava Rain would interfere in, in this tag team championship match, uh, you will see Joe, Ava gather their crusade to confront Ivy. And as the crusade members would come out from the crowd and stand with Joe, when it got down to the last two members, you would see the last two members attack the dyad. Brutus Creed, who's under one of the masks, he will hit Zach with a uh, Oklahoma roll and then throws Zach Gibson into the ring, and this will allow Tony D'Angelo to hit a backdrop slam for the win, so the family could retain their tag team championships. Now, I can expect probably next week on Heat Wave, uh, the schism probably calling out uh, the Creed brothers, and they'll probably hold Ivy Nile as probably hostage. I think that was the way that they should go, because this isn't the first time Joe Gacy has done that. He did that to Braun Breaker when he was going after Braun for the NXT Championship. And he uh, held his father, Rick Steiner, as hostage. So I can expect that probably next week. If they don't do that, I know they're probably going to have some statement between the schism and uh, the Creed brothers next week. Somewhere along the lines. But I think the best route for them is to take Ivy Nile as hostage to bring out the Creed's so they can challenge them for one more match. But... We'll have to wait and see on next week's episode of Heat Wave, but the family are still the NXT Tag Team Champions. Uh, we would go to Blair Davenport going against Dana Brooke, who will have Kalani Jordan in her corner. In this match, you will have Blair Davenport win by pinfall by hitting a running knee to the face, then the Komagoye for the win. There was a period in this match, I shouldn't say period, there was a moment in this match where Dana Brooke, she would grab the ring bell and Kalani Jordan would 
have to take the ring belt away from Dana Brooke because she didn't want Dana to be disqualified. Dana doesn't care at this moment. Dana doesn't want to be looked at as a joke. She wants her uh, career to be taken seriously. And after the match, you would just see Kalani just rubbing on Dana's uh, shoulder, looking at Blair Davenport, and you just see Dana Brooke looking at Kalani with like disgust on her face. So you can tell it's going to come to some frustration of Dana Brooke probably attacking Kalani Jordan because Dana wants to have that killer instinct. She's been in WWE almost for a decade, and she just hasn't really broken out yet, or she hasn't even reached her ceiling to break out. So I think Dana's really trying to scratch and claw just to get there, and I think this is going to be at least one of the things they're going to try to do to at least push Dana to that point, and also probably even uh, bring up Kalani Jordan as well as one of the top stars that they want to help promote in the women's division for NXT. But again, we'll have to wait and see with that. But for right now, the story is Dana Brooke, she's more likely going to turn on Kalani Jordan. We're just waiting when that time's going to happen. Now, we'll go to Trick Williams going against Drew Gulak, who will have Charlie Dempsey and Damon Kemp in his corner. Trick Williams would win the match by pinfall by hitting a cyclone kick on Drew after Josh Briggs and Brooks Jensen will come out to take care of Charlie Dempsey and Damon Kemp because Charlie Dempsey and Damon Kemp, they would interfere several times in this match against Trick Williams. Um, You know what? I was surprised not to see Carmelo here since Carmelo is Trick's boy, but they have an understanding. Trick has to do his own thing. Melo's doing his own thing, so I understand that. And also, Melo, he was signing autographs in the back, so that's probably another reason why he couldn't help out his boy. But I think this is going to come back to probably play some type of storyline purpose in the NXT's back pocket whenever they want to do the whole uh, Trick Williams and Carmelo Hayes business. That's if they decide to break them up, like, finalize it. But I get to see them having this in their back pocket because Trick Williams has always been there for Melo whenever Melo got, like, into a jam. So I can see them using this incident as a future reference for a feud between Trick and Mello. But right now, that's not the case. But again, they can have this in their back pocket. Uh, after the match, Trick will talk into the camera about his upcoming match with Ilya Dragunov next week by giving a message to Ilya. Now, after this, we would come down to Baron Corbin coming down to the ring. Baron would talk about how he took a Olympic athlete and brought him into the ring, show him what they do in this ring and how difficult it is. And we haven't seen that Olympic athlete since. And he's talking about uh, Gable Steepson, their match at, what was it? I believe Great American Bash a couple weeks ago. And I'm glad they actually mentioned that here because I was wondering that because we haven't seen Gable Steepson. This is their third week. I'm not seeing Gable on NXT television. So for Baron to mention that, that was good. So we can at least cross that off the list. Uh, we might not see Gable Steepson back here in NXT, but... I'm glad they at least mentioned it. Uh, Baron will go into business talking about how everybody in the locker room is soft and how he doesn't care about their feelings. He just is here to run up the ladder once again and show everyone why he belongs in the main event as a main eventer. Then you have Mr. Stone and Vog Wagner coming down to the ring. Stone will do the talking as usual and Baron would say that he needs to pass the microphone over to Vaughn. Because Vaughn needs to learn how to talk on the stick if he wants to progress in this business, progress in this industry. So with Von Wagner hearing Baron Corbin say this, he would ask for the mic from Stone. Stone would pass Von Wagner the mic. And we would actually get a decent promo out of Von Wagner. You know what, Corbin? Maybe I haven't talked a lot. 
but maybe you just talk too damn much. And I have built a friendship with Stone with his fancy lingo. You come out here week after week, it's the same old sob story. I'm tired of it. They're tired of it. Everybody's tired of it. So next week, you can come out here with one of your 10 gimmicks. It doesn't matter if it's happy Corbin, sad Corbin, bum-ass Corbin. I ain't gonna burn a ship down, Corbin. I don't even remember your other eight gimmicks because they all sucked. Now, Avon saying this, he would tell Baron that next week he has a table with Baron's name written all over it. So we have our match set up for next week. Baron Corbin going against Von Wagner. Von would throw his mic at Baron. Baron would then start to brawl with Von. Von would get the upper hand and send Baron Corbin outside of the ring. Von Wagner will look to powerbomb Corbin through the commentator's table, but then you see officials and security come out to separate both Von Wagner and Baron Corbin, and that's how the segment would end. And again, I said this was a decent segment, a decent promo from Von Wagner. Von Wagner, he doesn't really get to talk on the microphone as much, and it was great to hear Baron Corbin basically challenge Von Wagner to talk on the stick, almost the exact same way that I will say a John Cena did to Roman Reigns a couple years ago when they had their one-on-one contract signing, and Cena just obliterated Roman there, and it made Roman up up his game years later on the stick. So for Baron to do this for Vaughn, and Vaughn actually step up to the plate and actually cut a decent style promo, it was great. Hopefully they give Vaughn more time on the mic to do that. But again, Vaughn Wagner isn't the promo type, so I understand why they have Mr. Stone there. But again, bravo to Vaughn for actually speaking and stepping up to the plate. Now, after this, we will have a one-on-one matchup between Wesley and Dijak, where the winner will be facing Carmelo Hayes at NXT Heatwave for the NXT Championship. Wesley would win the match by pinfall, thanks in part to Eddie Thorpe showing up at ringside. Dijak would send Wesley over the barricade, and as Dijak is getting himself together, because at this point, Dijak and Wes have put each other through hell in this matchup, Eddie Thorpe would show up at ringside, Dijak would swing at Eddie, and Eddie would dodge it. And this will allow Wes to hit Dijak with a Hurricane Rana off the barricade and send Dijak into the steel steps. Wes would then send Dijak into the ring, then hit the cardiac kick, and then finish it off with the spiral tap for the win. For people that have not understand or don't know the reasoning why Eddie Thorpe was out here uh, a couple weeks ago, Eddie Thorpe had a match, I believe, against Damon Kemp. And Dijak, he interfered in that matchup and he attacked Eddie Thorpe, so that's the reason why Eddie was out here. He just paid Dijak a receipt. But now, what we have in the number one contender being announced, Wesley now going against Carmelo Hayes, we would have a contract signing to end NXT, but I'll get to that at the end. Now, after this, we will have Tyler Bate going against Joe Coffey with the Gallus Boys in Joe Coffey's corner, which are Mark Coffey and Wolfgang. Uh, the match would end in a new contest thanks to Dabakato coming out. When Tyler Bate would hit a plancha on Joe Coffey outside of the ring, you would see Tyler get to his feet. Dabakato would run down to the ring and hit Tyler with a big boot. The referee would ring the bell. Dabakato would then grab Joe, throw him into the ring, and before Dabak can get his hands fully on Joe Coffey, Mark Coffey and Wolfgang would pull Joe Coffey out of the ring. Tyler Bate, he would get in the ring. Dabakato would grab Tyler by the throat. Hit him with a two-handed sit-out choke slam, and that's it. 
Now, the funny thing about this was there was a uh, backstage, I won't say backstage, there was a video vignette of Dabakato saying that he's going to return back to NXT and he's going to create his uh, vengeance and just run through people. But that was like literally an hour earlier. And just to see Dabakato pop up like an hour later on NXT, it's kind of something different because, again, you don't usually do that. Whenever somebody has a vignette, they usually appear a week or two weeks later, not usually the legit night of. So for them to do this for Daba, it was something else. But okay, now we know that Daba Kato is going against uh, Tyler Bate, and that's Tyler Bate's next feud that he's entering in. Next up, we have JC Jane going against Thea Hale with Duke Hudson and Andre Chase in Thea's corner. JC would win the match by pinfall, thanks in part to Andre Chase. Andre Chase, he would try to help out Thea whenever he saw that the top turnbuckle padding was loose. He would try to straighten it out, get it tightened. You would then see Thea Hale look at Andre and just start yelling at him because Thea Hale still holds Andre Chase responsible for throwing in the towel in her matchup against Tiffany at the Great American Bash. And she just likes wants Chase just to sit out, don't do nothing, just let me handle this. And as Thea went over to go after JC Jane, JC would grab Thea, get her inside an insider uh, cradle to pin her and win the match. And now you have Thea Hale more upset at Andre Chase. And Andre, he was just trying to help Thea out. But every time Andre tries, he just constantly just gets poo-pooed on by Thea. And Duke Hudson, he's just playing the side guy and just letting Thea just go at Andre, not trying to really... Uh, reconcile the relationship between Audrey Chase and Thea Hill at the moment. Nope, he's just playing the side corner and just really egging on Thea just going at Audrey Chase. So, again, we're still with that story right there, and I think it's going to come up to a point that Thea Hill's going to break off from Audrey Chase, and Duke Hudson's probably going to be with Thea, if anything. But we'll have to wait and see about that. Now, we move over to our main event segment here, the contract signing between the NXT champion, Carmelo Hayes, and Wesley. Now, in this contract signing, we will have Wesley talking to Carmelo and basically just dog Carmelo out for saying how he was one of the chosen ones whenever Melo got into NXT, while he, on the other hand, that wasn't the case. He constantly had to fight for everything. He had to fight for just to even get into wrestling. And when he got into wrestling, keep on dealing with the naysayers and doubters and then had to deal with them as he went through the independence, and then when he got into WWE, still the naysayers and doubters when he won the tag team titles twice, and then he lost his tag team partner, and then he had to deal with the naysayers and doubters again when they said that he couldn't be a singles competitor, but prove them wrong. So Wesley is out here basically saying, I constantly have to prove people wrong constantly. Melo, he would have to retort and say, Wes, listen, 90% of what you said is right. Yeah, cool, great. But me having this championship comes with great responsibilities. I have to do this. I have to do that. It doesn't, this isn't easy. I make it look easy, basically. And he tells Wes that, listen, next week, you're going to have your opportunity. You've earned this. Nobody's going to take this away from you. However, you won't. Matter of fact, you can't beat me. And this would get Wes just upset again. And you can see Wes is just fuming in the face. He's just upset because he's tired of being listed as, I can't do this. I can't do this. 
So we get the contract signing between Melo. We get the contract uh, signed by West. And to end it off, we would have Melo lift up the NXT Championship and West being so full of rage, he would just jump up and just completely just double foot stomp the table, just crashing and splitting the table right in half. And this would amuse Melo and he would just smile and Wes would say, I'll see you next week. So we have that fire. We have that adrenaline built in from Wes at this moment. And now we're going to get a great one-on-one matchup between Melo and Wesley next week for the NXT Championship. I can't wait for it. I know a lot of people can't wait for it. I know, and I think everybody else knows, that Melo's going to retain the NXT Championship. I just hope that they have a banger of a match that we know that these two guys can't produce with each other. That's what I'm hoping for, and I hope that no shenanigans will come out of that. So that's what we can look forward to next week on NXT Heat Wave, as well as another match that I suspected that will be announced for NXT Heat Wave. It will be Lyra Valkyria and Dragon Lee going against Dominic Mysterio and Rhea Ripley in a mixed tag match. So we can expect that match next week on Heat Wave. Heat Wave is one that you should not miss. So I would suggest tuning into NXT next week so you can watch all the incredible matches next week to further storylines and all that good jazz and great wrestling. Um, So with that, that's your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now let's move over to AEW Dynamite. Now, before I get to talking about Dynamite, we have to talk about Collision because the events that happened on Collision would kind of set up what would come to be on Dynamite. On Collision, Ricky Starks would come out. He talks about how he was suspended from AEW management and he's no longer, as of right now, for 30 days, he cannot compete. So he decided to get a uh, licensing as a manager. So expect to see Ricky Starks managing some wrestlers on Collision because Collision is Ricky Starks' show and Ricky is a star. Those are all his words to say in that promo. Um, Samoa Joe, he will have a squash match against Andrew Everett and Samoa Joe, he lays the law down yet again to CM Punk. He says that he is going to go after CM Punk because he gave CM Punk a week to answer his challenge for a match at Wembley at All In. So now Samoa Joe has to take things into his hand. Um, We would have House of Black going against CM Punk and FTR. And Samoa Joe, he would exact his revenge on CM Punk at that moment. He would drag CM Punk out of the ring into the crowd with the Coquina Clutch. House of Black would win the match to retain their trios championships. And that's basically it. Oh yeah, a big thing to also come up with on Collision. Uh, Powerhouse Hobbs, he is now going to be beefing with Miro. So I expect a lot of good things to come out of that. Also, the Acclaim, they made a speech how they're going to be trying to get Billy Guns back into wrestling. But if they can't, they're going to be just... Uh, grabbing his boots and walking around with his boots as a way to pay tribute to Billy Guns because right now we don't know if he's retired or he's not retired. So we're kind of playing around with that. Now that will come into play on Dynamite, but I'll get to Dynamite right now. The first match that will happen on Dynamite is for the International Championship. It is Orange Cassidy defending his championship against Willa Yuta. Orange would retain his championship by pinfall when he reversed a pile driver into a roll-up for the win. You would have Moxley and Claudio kind of walking around the uh, ring towards the end of the match, and you would see Orange kind of taunt Moxley when he would hit Yuta with the paradigm shift in the match. 
Now, immediately after the match was done, the Blackpool Combat Club would get in the ring and start attacking Orange Cassidy, just beating him up until Chuck Taylor and Trent Beretta would run down to the ring to try to make the save, but to no avail. Blackpool Combat Club are just completely dominated at this moment. The Lucha Brothers will come to the ring, and they will take out the Blackpool Combat Club, and then we will get a returning Eddie Kingston. He's returning from his uh, trip over in New Japan when he competed in the G1 Climax. So Eddie's back in AEW, and he would, like, beam directly towards Claudio. So those two were going at it for a bit until Claudio and the rest of the Blackpool Combat Club members would retreat into the crowd. Eddie would get on the mic and announce that at All In is going to be a stadium stampede match. Blackpool Combat Club and three other members, who, whoever they can find, going against Eddie Kingston, the Lucha Bros, and the Best Friends. Now, the question remains, who is the Blackpool Combat Club going to find to be their partners? I have no idea. Hopefully, we'll find out in the weeks to come, or they could probably keep it secretive until All In. I think the secret... Uh, I think having secrets for this match in particular will be big, just to keep it... a. Just as a surprise, so the fans at Wembley can pop for whoever is going to be. And I think everybody wants it to be Santana and Ortiz because we haven't seen those guys in some time. As I said before in previous episodes uh, ago, Santana, he was out with an injury since last year's uh, Blood and Guts match. That's where he got injured. And Ortiz, I don't think he's been seen since, what, towards the end of 2022 or beginning of 2023? He hasn't been seen recently no time so if we get santana ortiz back in an a team up with the blackpool combat club that'd be great i think we're going to have show the umino teaming up with blackpool combat club but again this is just me speculating and guessing but i can't wait to see what happens at uh all in now after this they will run a sit-down interview that kenny omega had with jim ross in daily's place in florida kenny would talk about his relationship with don callis don would interrupt the interview only for juice robinson Jay White, and Takeshita to attack Kenny Omega, and they put a beat down on Kenny because, I forgot to mention this, on Collision, uh, Jay White would mention something about the elite that he would call the Bullet Club Gold, the true elite of this business, so we have that uh, situation set up on Collision, and now we see it come into play on Dynamite here. Now, with them taking out Kenny Omega, this will lead to a video of Hangman Page outside of a hospital, and he talks about a trios match at All In, where it will be Juice Robinson, Jay White, and Takeshita going against Kenny Omega, Hangman Page, and Kota Ibushi. So, I expect that match to be great as well. Now, we return to inside the ring. We will have Don Callis in there, and he has a item covered in a black cloak, and we now wait for Chris Jericho to come down to the ring so Chris can give his answer or whether he is joining Don Callis' family. Chris would tell Don that he doesn't join factions, he creates them. This will give Don a look of concern, only for Chris to swerve everybody and say that he's joining Don's faction. So Don would hug Chris, Chris would hug Don. Don's so happy, and he would tell Chris, let's get out of here, let's drink some drinks, and let's beat up some rednecks like we used to do back in the day. And Chris, he would see the like item in the corner that's covered in a black cloak. He would say, Don, what's that? Don would constantly try to tell Chris, no, let's go out of here. Let's get out of here. Let's let's go. And Chris would say, no, what is that? And Chris would go over, pull the black veil from the item, and it's a photo. And it's a photo of Don Callis holding a decapitated head of Chris Jericho. 
Now, Chris seeing this, everybody seeing this, we're all trying to figure out why was this photo here? Why did Don have this photo commissioned? And Chris would ask Don, what is this? And Don would constantly try to out talk himself out of it. And Chris would tell him, listen, I've known you for 30 years. I know you're lying to me and you're trying to lie right now. Tell me the truth. Why did you have that photo commission? And Don would basically tell Chris, listen, I didn't think you were going to be in my family. I didn't think you were going to agree because of your ego. You have one of the biggest egos in all of professional wrestling. That's the reason why this photo was commissioned. And Chris, he just, he doesn't take kindly to this. He would say that Don is a piece of crap. Nobody knew who he was. He was out of the wrestling business three years ago. It was him that brought Don back into the wrestling business. Don's essentially a nobody. And this will lead to Chris Jericho, like, choking Don Callis into the corner. Now, Takeshita, he would come down with a chair, and he would try to attack Chris Jericho, but Jericho would uh, see Takeshita, start beating up on Takeshita before Takeshita could do anything. And as Jericho's beating up on Takeshita, he would move back a little, and out of nowhere, Will Ospreay, he would appear in the ring and hit Chris Jericho with a hidden blade. And that's basically a running forearm to the side of the head, for people that don't know what that is. Um, then you will see Chris Jericho being held up by Takeshita and Will Ospreay. And Don Callis, he will pick up the photo, and he will smash the photo on Chris Jericho's head. And Chris would begin to bleed a little bit. Sammy Guevara, he will make the save. He will run down with Chris Jericho's bat in Will Ospreay, Takeshita, and Don Callis would retreat from the ring and go to the back. And later in the night, Chris Jericho, he would cut a promo in the medical room. And he tells Will Ospreay that this match was supposed to happen in 2021, but the pandemic happened and COVID happened. So you're going to get your wish. The match is going to happen at Wembley at All In. So we have Chris Jericho versus Will Ospreay set up. And I'm not too mad at this because this match was kind of like during the pandemic, it was kind of leaking out information about what previous plans were supposed to be. Chris Jericho was supposed to go over there, going against Will Ospreay at Russell Kingdom. But as everybody knows, pandemic happened. That kind of killed it. So we're getting this now at Wembley. I'm not mad at it. I think the England crowd is going to enjoy it. I think uh, Will Ospreay beating Chris Jericho in front of his countrymen and women is going to be a great thing. If they don't have Will Ospreay beating Chris Jericho, I'm going to be confused by this because Chris Jericho is a legend he doesn't need to beat Will Ospreay Will Ospreay breeding Chris Jericho in front of his countrymen will only add on to Will Ospreay's growing legacy so Will Ospreay needs to win that match at least that's the way I feel but we have another week to at least build this anticipation for this matchup for all in now next up we will have Darby Allen and Nick Wayne going against the gates of agony and you have Swerve and A.R. Fox watching the match from the entrance ramp. Darby and Nick Wayne would win the match by pinfall when Nick would hit Khan with Wayne's World, which is a second rope cutter. Then Darby would hit the coffin drop from the top turnbuckle on Khan to win the match. Now after the match, you will see Swerve and A.R. Fox get up from their chairs and they start walking down to the ring. Nick Wayne and Darby are just looking at A.R. Fox and Swerve anticipating them trying to run in but on the big screen sting would gather their attention sting would talk and talk and talk and he would have nana right beside him and then you would see mogul embassy just like go to the bag to try to uh, retrieve nana 
from Sting and Nana would just run away from Sting and that's basically it. Again, another way to try to set up and promote uh, Darby and Sting's, I believe it's their coffin match against Swerve and AR Fox at All In. I don't understand why it's a coffin match. Cool, fine, whatever. It could have been a standard tag match, but I think with them having the extreme element, it just allows more creative freedom, if anything else. I think that's the only reason why they did that. But, eh. I think they could have just a regular standard tag match and everybody would have been fine. But, they're doing a coffin match, fine, cool, whatever. But, Swerve being on television more, great. Air Fox being on TV, great. The Mogul Embassy, always a great thing to see on TV. Again, I wonder what Keith Lee is doing. Tony Khan, if you could... Please put Keith Lee on TV. But if he is dealing with some issues, I understand why you keep him off to the side. That's all I got to say about that. Now, we will move over into MJF and Adam Cole. It's time for them to come down to the ring and speak to the people. But before I get to that, I do have to put kudos on MJF and Adam Cole's name and also AEW as well. Because they have done a great job with the storyline of guys that were enemies that end up becoming great friends the way that MJF and Adam Cole have become they would do a skit of them going to outback steakhouse because this is mgf's way of trying to scout their opponents ozzy open since they're from australia uh that's the way he thinks that okay we go here we can find a way to beat our opponents and mgf out of everything he would think of doing the kangaroo kick so we have mgf here trying to do the kangaroo tick kick in the backstage uh, vignette or skit, whatever you want to call this thing between MGF and Adam Cole. And you will see them hit a double clothesline on one of the AEW workers. You will hear them get yelled at by Tony Khan in the backstage area in Tony Khan's office. And once they leave Tony Khan's office, MGF, he acts like that guy that everybody knows and said, man, I was going to say this, but he doesn't. And he says, man, Tony Khan's not going to appreciate that whenever 2024 happens, the big contract of the bidding war, and then Tony Khan will open the doors and ask MJF, what was that? And MJF, he would just act like a kid. No, 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 no. I, I didn't say nothing. And again, I like that they did that because, again, online speculation for people that don't know, online speculation is there's been some things happening in AEW backstage, and everybody keeps on saying that Tony Khan needs to put his foot down. Tony Khan isn't doing nothing. And I think with Tony Khan doing this with Adam Cole and MGF yelling at them in this backstage skit, it shows that Tony Khan hears and he sees what you guys are writing. So this is his way of poking fun back at the uh, wrestling fans that's on the internet talking about him. So I want to say that before I get to MGF and Adam Cole's in-ring segment here. Now, going to Inside the Ring, MGF and Adam Cole in there, they would talk up their match at All In. They would talk up their... Uh, ROH tag team title match at the Zero Hour, which is the pre-show for All In against Ozzy Open. Then they talk about going against each other in the main event of All In for the AEW World Championship. Adam would mention how this match would solidify his legacy. He talks about being on top of every promotion he has ever been in, breaking records, making records with their top championships, and this would just be the cherry on top of the cake, and that he will do anything, and he means anything, for him to come out on top of this match at all in. MJF, he would recall a story from his first day in wrestling school, and he would mention how on his first day, 
his trainer gave him a piece of paper, and on that paper, it told him to write down two people that you would love to wrestle. Basically, your dream matches. And the members were uh, Cody Rhodes and Adam Cole. So, we've already seen him do his business with Cody Rhodes, and now it's time for him to do his business with Adam Cole here. MJF will talk about how whenever All In first happened, he made a DM to Cody trying to get on the card. Cody got him on the card, and MJF says, even though I didn't win that matchup at All In, the first All In, I got to win in the end because I got the eyes of Tony Khan, which led to me getting signed to All Elite Wrestling. And I got to grow up in front of you guys' faces and made me become the AEW World Champion. And that even though he loves Adam Cole and their best friends, the AEW World Championship means everything to him. And beating Adam Cole at Wembley would be just cementing MJF's legacy as a legendary status. MJF would say that he plans on making people remember that no one is on the level of the devil. So to close this out, MGF and Adam Cole, they would trade off uh, each other's closing catchphrases. Then they would embrace with each other. Ozzy Open, they would slide into the ring, attack both men, but Adam and MGF would turn the situation around and then beat up on Ozzy Open. MGF and Adam, they would try to hit Mark Davis with the double clothesline, but Mark would slide out of the ring before that could happen. MGF, he would think this is the perfect opportunity to hit Kyle Fletcher with the kangaroo kick. And as he's setting himself up to do it, Mark Davis would grab Kyle Fletcher and, like, drag him out of the ring. So, when we see this, MGF, he's holding up the AEW World Championship. He's looking at Ozzy Open. And behind him, you just see Adam Cole just, like, in a position to, like, level up that super kick for uh, MGF to turn around. And when MGF finally does, you see Adam Cole just get up and just tell MGF that, nah, he was pointing at Ozzy Open. And you can sense that MGF kind of knew, like, nah, I knew what you were doing. And again, they're still playing it off. We're still having to figure out who's going to turn on each other whenever All In comes about. Because somebody's going to pull a dirty deed. We know MGF, he's a scumbag. He's the devil. He's going to do whatever it takes for him to win the championship, but also Adam Cole putting in that line that's saying that he will do whatever it takes to walk out with the AEW World Championship. Adam Cole isn't above playing dirty. He isn't above hitting you in the nuts. He isn't above using any type of way that he can to win a championship, whatever he has to win. So we have that nice uh, situation going on right there of who's going to turn on who and our either guy going to pull the trigger when it's actually necessary. Yes, they're going to talk about it, but when it's time, are they going to be able to pull the trigger? We're going to have to wait and see it all in. Also, we have the mystery factor of the Kingdom and Roderick Strong, because Roddy and the Kingdom, they'll be watching backstage as MGF and Adam Cole, they will be walking up the steps. So we have that other missing ingredient, or as I say, a secret ingredient to add into the cake or into the match of MGF and Adam Cole in the main event of All In. Is Roddy and the Kingdom going to interfere in that matchup, or are they going to interfere in the ROH Tag Team matchup? I think to put a big emphasis on the importance of the Kingdom and Roddy, I think they need to interfere in the main event match, but again, we'll have to wait and see at All In. There you have it.
Now, next up, we will have a Texas Chainsaw Massacre match between Jeff Hardy and Jeff Jarrett, which means, for people that did not see it, and I will say it was nothing but shenanigans and tomfoolery and chicanery. I mean, it was everything and above. It was, you can use any weapons. You were able to fight outside of uh, the ring, in the crowd, in the back. Just basically false count anywhere. Not false count anywhere. I'm sorry. You had to get the pinfall inside the ring. But you could fight anywhere. You had Jay Lethal, Matt Hardy, uh, Sodom Singh, Karen Jarrett, Isaiah Cassidy, and Ethan Page all interfering in this matchup. And you would even get a guy dressed up in a leather face mask to come out and do, like, scaring, uh, I believe, Karen Jarrett up the ramp to the back and even, like, punch, like, Sanjay Dutt. This match was what it was. It was nothing but AEW getting a check from uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, video game uh, people. That's all this match technically was. Jeff Jarrett, he would win it. Sotnam Singh, he would choke slam uh, Jeff Hardy. And Jeff Jarrett would cover him for the win. There you go. As I said, this match was nothing but sh uh, chicanery and shenanigans and top foolery. That's all I got to say about that, to be completely honest. Next matchup, Britt Baker versus The Bunny. The winner will take the final spot in the Fatal 4-Way match at All-In for the AEW Women's Championship. Uh, Britt Baker would win the match by hitting a curb stomp on The Bunny, so she is now in that Fatal 4-Way match. Uh, so the competitors are Britt Baker, Tony Storm, Soraya, and Hikaru Shida for All-In in a Fatal 4-Way match for the AEW Women's Championship. There you have it. Next up, we will have the Acclaim. The claim we're supposed to have a match here, but when the lights will go out and once they pop back on, the House of Black would be in the ring. The House of Black will lay out the acclaim and then take Billy Gunn's boots with them as their trophies. So now I expect probably on collision tonight, you're probably going to have the acclaim call out the House of Black saying they want Billy Gunn's boots and... House of Black is probably going to do something, and it might set up for them to have a match at All In for the Trios Championships. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, or it might set up a match for All Out. Who knows? But that's what I suspect probably going to happen on Collision. Now we go over to our main event. We will have the Guns going against the Young Bucks. The Young Bucks would win the match by pinfall when uh, Matt Jackson would reverse a pinfall from Austin Gunn after Nick super kicked uh, Colton Gunn in the head when Colton was trying to help Austin like cheat and use leverage to uh, beat Matt Jackson. So that's how the Young Bucks will win against the Guns. Solid tag match. After the match, however, uh, Jay White and Juice Robinson, they would come down and start beating up on the Young Bucks. They would grab a steel chair and they would place uh, Matt Jackson's already injured arm inside of the chair. And you see Juice on the turnbuckle by the jump off and stomp on it. But FTR, they would make the save. FTR would appear in the ring behind uh, the guns and Jay White's back. They will beat up on the guns and send them outside of the ring. They will beat up on Jay White and Juice Robinson. They will hit Juice with the shatter machine. And before they could do that to Jay White, you will see Austin Gunn pull Jay White out of the ring. So that will send Bullet Club Gold retreating to the back. 
Then we will have uh, the guns and FTR look at one another, and that's how AEW Dynamite would end. So again, this was another way for them to set up their match at All In as well to get people anticipated for it. Now, with that being said, that was your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week, and now we move over into Impact Wrestling. And to start Impact Wrestling off, we will have Kylie King going against Deanna Perrazzo. Kylie King would have Taylor Wilde in her corner. Deanna Perrazzo would win the match by submission by making Kylie King tap out to Venus DeMilo, which is a uh, trapped double arm bar. So Deanna Perrazzo will get her win back from Kylie King after Kylie beat Deanna two weeks ago in a tag team matchup when Deanna was teamed up with Trinity. So Deanna has some momentum going into her knockouts championship match against Trinity next week at Emergence. So let's see where that goes. Uh, Deanna next week on Impact's uh, final episode leading into Emergence. Now after this, we have a triple threat match of Killer Kelly with Masha Slamovich in her corner, Jessica with uh, Courtney Rush in her corner, and Savannah Evans with Giselle Shaw in her corner. Those three women would have a match here. Killer Kelly would come out on top when Savannah Evans would hit Jessica with a snap DDT. Then Killer Kelly would hit a Death Valley driver on Savannah on top of a down Jessica Havoc. And that's how Killer Kelly would win the match. A solid match here. You had at the beginning Killer uh, Kelly try to get in the mix between um, Jessica and Savannah Evans. But Savannah Evans and Jessica being two of the bigger uh, statured women in the knockouts division, they kind of had a downplay Killer Kelly here, making her try to get in whenever she could get in, and that basically played a factor into the ending of the match. Now, after this, we will have a matchup between Moose and Kevin Knight. Moose would win the match by pinfall by hitting a powerbomb, then follow it up with a spear to win the match. This match right here was good. It had the crowd jumping up towards the final ends of the match because Kevin Knight was really showing out here. I mean, at one point, he hit Moose with a code red, and it got the crowd jumping and making them think that Kevin Knight was going to win the match, but only for Moose to kick out. And I think even after the match, you saw in Moose's face that he has some respect for Kevin Knight. So hopefully we get to see more of Kevin Knight. Hopefully we get to see him have a match with uh, Leo Rush for the X Division Championship. That's only if Leo Rush decides to keep that championship and not cash it in for option C, but again, we'll have to wait and see, but this match was, I believe, everybody's like, tune in matchup for Kevin Knight to really showcase who he is as a wrestler, to let people know that who Kevin Knight truly is, and if you don't know what I mean, if you remember back, if you watch AEW in 2021, when uh, Dante Martin's brother, Darius Martin, was injured at the time, Dante Martin, he had to go out on his own, and Tony Khan started putting some of his eggs in the Dante Martin basket, starting to allow people to see what Dante Martin could really do. And Dante Martin started to really show out in 2021. I feel that this was Kevin Knight's like show out moment here. And hopefully throughout the rest of the year of impact that Kevin Knight is here, we get to see him show out. And if not, he gets to go back to new Japan and hopefully new Japan will be able to uh, capitalize with Kevin Knight because Kevin Knight is a great wrestler. And I think, as I said before, this was his uh, show-out match to prove that. Now, after this, we have a matchup between Eric Young going against Khan, who have Diener in his corner. Eric Young would win the match by disqualification when Eric had Khan set up for a pile driver, 
Diener will come in the ring and hit Eric in the back with a steel chair. The referee will call for the bell. Now, after the match, Diener would tell Khan to chokeslam Eric, which Khan did. Diener would then place the chair on the mat, and Diener would hit the antidote, which is a snap DDT on Eric on the steel chair, and then Diener would sit on the back of Eric and just revel in the chaos that he just committed onto Eric Young. Again, this is still playing on the storyline of Eric Young's here to get at Diener because Diener didn't finish the job last year when Diener took over violence by design. So that's the reason why Eric Young's here. Again, Eric Young is by himself. I want to see if they're going to bring back Joe Doring only if he has beaten cancer. And if Joe Doring is not going to be able to come back at this time for the story line to conclude, maybe we can get Rhino. Again, I think it needs to have be someone that had some ties with the whole Violent by Design uh, stable. And I think Rhino coming back to team up with Eric to take on Diener and Khan, I think that would be a great way to end the story if they can not get Joe Doring. But we'll still have to wait and see what happens with that. Next up, a notice qualification matchup, Black Tarus going against Bully Ray. Bully Ray would win the match by pinfall after Tarus went for a twisting senton on Bully who was laying on a ladder. Bully would move and Tarus would hit smack dab on the ladder and then you see Bully cover Tarus to win the match. Now, after the match would end, the lights would go out and once they pop back on, PCO would be standing in the ring. Bully Ray, he would be petrified because he is terrified of PCO because after all the pain and hell that Bully has put PCO through, PCO is still not giving up or trying to get at Bully Ray here. So Bully Ray will see PCO. He would rush over to PCO, grab him by the throat, choke slam him through a table, and PCO would get up like nothing just happened to him. Now this would freak Bully Ray out more, and Bully would leave the ring and run to the back, and you would see PCO follow and give chase. So this is giving more... Uh, Credence to the story of what we're doing with Bully Ray here with PCO. They're going to have a blow-off match. Hopefully they get that mess announced at not Emergence because Emergence, Bully Ray has something to do there. But hopefully like the Impact Wrestling show after Emergence because I want to see Bully Ray do something else and I want to see PCO do something else. So hopefully we get that. Maybe. Now, after this, we get to the main event. Uh, Sam McCallahan and Rich Swan going against the Rascals, where the winners will be facing subculture at Emergence for the Impact Wrestling World Tag Team Championships. The Rascals would win this match by pinfall when the referee was busy watching Zachary Rentz and Rich Swan uh, fighting outside of the ring. Sam McCallahan would grab Trey Miguel and go for a pile driver, and Trey would pull out a spray paint can out of his uh, trunks and start spraying Sammy in the face. This will allow Trey to hit a ripcord knee on Sammy. Then Zachary once will get in the ring and the Rascals will hit Fire Flame, which is a move that requires one of the members of the team to get themselves ready so they can jump up and at the motion that they jump, their tag partner will shove them. And in that transition of when they shove, that tag partner would like perform a moonsault and land on their opponent that's laying down, and then cover him for the win. Now, the Rascals will be facing off against Subculture at Emergence for the Impact World Tag Team Championships, so that match has been made official. I do like how they brought back this move, the Rascals did, because Zachary Wentz used to do this move with 
his former tag partner, uh, Wesley, whenever Wes was over in Impact or Wes and Zachary were on the independence, that was a move that they used to do together. And I'm glad that they decided to bring that move back for this team. Now, with that being said, this was your Impact Wrestling Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over into SmackDown. SmackDown this week was about Edge. This is Edge's 25th anniversary in WWE. So we would get some Edge um, highlight packages of what he did in his career. And I would like to say uh, Edge was the first villain that I truly hated in WWE. He was the first villain that I truly hated in pro wrestling. If you know the story of Edge... It, it wasn't, <laughs> he was a tag team wrestler, then he does his own singles thing, but he really started to gain prominence whenever the whole him, Lita, and Matt Hardy situation came about, and Edge was holding the money in the bank briefcase. That's when I really started to really hated someone. I mean, the story between Matt and Lita was, like, already put into a book, and you knew what their love story was. And then for Edge to creep in and take Lita away from Matt. And he was the ultimate scumbag. And Edge, he was able to betray the ultimate scumbag. He became uh, the rated R superstar. He ended up cashing in on John Cena to become the WWE champion. And then, dude, he ends up having a live sex celebration in front of the world on Monday Night Raw. And that popped a rating for Raw. Again, I don't know what the rating is, but people that really look into ratings, they talk about that, how Edge was really that guy for that rating for that live sex celebration. And it's weird because after that, Edge started to get into the main event and he just constantly become the ultimate scumbag. I mean, he was scummy McScum. I had a conversation with my brother because we had a debate between Edge and Randy Orton, who is the ultimate scumbag, like 1A, 1B for villains in our time when we were watching WWE from the 2000, 2010s. And I say Edge is number one and Randy Orton is number two because Edge, he was the guy that took Matt Hardy that everybody knew. He took his girl, he beat Matt Hardy and sent him over to SmackDown. He ends up becoming the, one of the biggest bad guys over there that everybody, without a shadow of a doubt, just purely hated. And Randy, it took him some time to really get into that psychopath mood that we all know Randy could be. But once he got into it, he clicked. But for me, I say Edge is number one, Randy's number two, but interchangeable on any other day when I talk about it. But Edge is that guy. Edge is a great tag team wrestler, great singles competitor. I think he really hit a stride after he broke up with uh, the tag team of him and Christian, and he started doing his own thing, but he really kicked in after he did the whole Matt Hardy business into character work and like really embracing the whole scumminess of being a scumbag. But again, Edge, first guy I purely hated in professional wrestling, and again, I want to say thank you to Edge for portraying that seriously with everything as a fan. Thank you for being the ultimate scumbag. Now, with that out of the way, let's get over to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with Grayson Waller Effect, with his special guest Santos Escobar and the new United States Champion, Rey Mysterio. Grayson Waller will be up to his usual antics and try to turn Santos on Rey, because Santos was supposed to face Austin Theory last week, but... 
Santos got attacked by Theory, and Ray took his spot. So that's the reason why Ray is the new United States champion. Uh, Grayson would say that Ray sniped that opportunity away from Santos last week. You will have Ray and Santos both put Grayson Waller in his place by saying the United States Championship is now in the grips of the LWO. Santos would say that he gave Rey Mysterio his blessing last week after Theory attacked him. And once his leg is healed, he's going after Theory. Now, speaking of Austin Theory, Austin Theory will walk out. Austin Theory is here to complain about facing Rey Mysterio last week, saying that Rey wasn't supposed to be in that match. So he called for Adam Pearce to come out here so he could reverse the decision and basically give him back his United States Championship. That would not happen. Adam Pearce would come out, and immediately after Pearce would come out, L.A. Knight, he would appear. L.A. Knight would be out here to congratulate Rey Mysterio on becoming a United States Champion, and he would say that it doesn't matter who holds that championship, it would eventually go home with him. L.A. Knight would see Austin Theory in the ring, and he would start tearing him up on the mic, saying that you dropped the ball last week, and you only defended your championship once in every three months. And he would propose a match to Adam Pierce for the winner between himself and Austin Theory will be the number one contender for the United States Championship. And Adam Pierce would have no problem with that. So we would get to that match. Theory versus uh, LA Knight. The Miz, he will be out here. He'll be on commentary because the Miz is having a little beef with LA Knight. Theory would win the match by pinfall thanks to the Miz interfering. When the Miz would get on the apron, when LA Knight would go for his elbow drop, Knight will go over and swipe at the Miz. Miz will drop from the apron, and Knight will leave the ring and start chasing the Miz. Miz will get in the ring, and then you see Knight get in the ring, and he will start doing battle with the Miz, and he will clothesline Miz out of the ring, and this allow Austin Theory to go behind LA Knight and roll him up and hold his tights to secure the victory. So Theory, he's the number one contender for the United States Championship, and we will continue on with the beef between LA Knight and and the Miz. Now, next matchup, Charlotte Flair and Bianca Belair going against Io Sky and Bailey with Dakota Kai in their corner. Bianca Belair and Charlotte would win the match by pinfall with Bianca Belair hitting the KOD for the win. Now, after the match in the back, Bianca Belair was getting interviewed and Damage Control would attack her from behind. They will place a chair, well, they will place her leg in a chair and then they will smash Bianca's leg with another chair. And now Bianca's going to be out for some time. Bianca was dealing with a bad leg. That's what they've been saying on WWE television since SummerSlam. So I think there's going to get some time for Bianca to just get off of TV to let her, uh, I would say, let her character be missed by the audience. So when she comes back, she gets cheered a lot. It isn't like she's not being cheered a lot right now. But I'm saying the heart grows fonder when you're away. And Bianca Belair, she's been on television nonstop for about a good solid two, three years now on WWE television. So I think it's going to be great for Bianca Belair to take this time off and like recoup her body and allow, as I said before, the heart grow fonder for whenever Bianca Belair does come back. Um, so we have that happen here. Uh, we have the Street Profits going against the Good Brothers with Mia Yim in their corner. The Street Profits would win their match by pinfall by hitting a sky-high neckbreaker combo. Solid match. The uh, Street Profits, they're here with new gear design, and they were more aggressive in this match. They're not just that flashy tag team that we know they can be, which Montez Forsey was still able to 
due to flashiness, due to high uh, flying ability that he was able to do beforehand. But he just became more aggressive. Same thing with Angelo Dawkins. He became more aggressive. Even Corey Grace, he would mention that on commentary, saying that the Street Profits at one point, they were about to become stagnant and complacent. And now with them having this newfound aggression and attitude, it's not going to happen. They are going to start being on the right track. Now, after the match, you will see them go up the ramp. They're met by Bobby Lashley. The three guys just are standing there, and it just gives you the possibility of what we can see of these three-men unit, Bobby leading the Street Profits. And again, good representation, good uh, presentation of the Profits being with Bobby Lashley. I like these three guys being together. Bobby, he is a main act. He's a main event guy. It's only going to be time whenever they put him back in the ring. I don't know what's going on with Bobby Lashley. I don't know if he's hurt or recouping from an injury or not. But they're really taking their time to decide when Bobby's going to get back in the ring. So when it does, that'll be great. And then we can really have all three guys be in full effect so we can see what it's like for all three of them to really work together. But right now, presentation-wise, the Street Profits signing along with Bobby, it's a good look. Now, we go over to our main event, Edge versus Sheamus, their first time ever one-on-one matchup here. Edge, he's out here in Toronto. He's wearing uh, Toronto Maple Leaf-inspired uh, gear, white and blue. And him and Sheamus would have a great match to end SmackDown. And Edge would win the match by pinfall by hitting his spear. When Sheamus would go for a bro kick. But Edge would happen to just pull the trigger quickly and hit him with a spear and get the win. And what made it great about this win here was that Edge's wife and his two daughters were at ringside for this match. And we don't know if this is going to be Edge's last time with WWE or last time in wrestling in general, just wrestling. Because Edge's body, even though he was able to get that saving grace of, hey, you get to wrestle again after so many years being taken away from you, uh, he would mention when SmackDown would go off, and I watched a video of this, him talking to the crowd, his body got to recruit after this, and he got to talk to his family members to figure out what they want him to do. Do they want him to step out from wrestling or do they want him to continue wrestling or not? Like I said, we all have no idea. People are speculating the man might show up at All Out. I don't see that happening, but if it happens, that'll be crazy. But I don't think that's going to happen. Edge could have joined AEW when he first got uh, found out that he was able to wrestle again, but he decided to stick with WWE. But I don't think he's going to AEW right now. I don't. I think he's going to stay with WWE if he decides to stick with wrestling. But we'll have to wait and see what goes on. But I'm glad that uh, Edge was able to have that fun time in Toronto in front of his family, in front of his uh, Canadians. And uh, yeah, that's how SmackDown will go. And that was your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over into AEW Rampage. First match to start off with is Ray Phoenix with Alex Abrahante in this corner. Going against Commander. Ray Phoenix would win this match by pinfall by hitting a spinning muscle buster for the win. Great match to open up Rampage. Two luchadors going against one another. And again, this is a great style. If people are not knowing of what Lucha, Lucha Libre or Luchador is. It's a guy in a mask and they're basically just high flying, going at one another just constantly. Ray Phoenix, he can do everything. He can strike, he can power, he can high fly. He is literally one of the guys I can see AEW putting him in the main event. And I think nobody would bat an eye about it. And uh, Commander, he's one of those guys I can see being 
a staple as a tag team or a trios guy. Or if he wanted to go after uh international championship, it would be great because Commander, he's a great high flyer. And I think they need some type of... They need a type of stamp to really prove a belt's worth. I mean, Orange Cassidy is doing great with the international championship, but Commander holding it, I think it will show off a different side of what someone can do as international champion. And Commander, he can basically make that international championship basically almost be like an X-Division championship in a way. But we'll have to see with that. But again, great opening match for Rampage. Follow that. We have an ROH Tag Team Championship matchup. Ozzy Open going against Isaiah Cassidy and Ethan Page. Ozzy Open would win the match by pinfall when they would hit Coriolis on Isaiah Cassidy to retain their Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships. Now, after the match, Ozzy Open would get on the mic and talk about their match with Adam Cole and MJF at All In Zero Hour. They will say they're going to retain their championships, usual champion stuff. Um, after this, we would get a video package from the Hardys, and they talk how they want to face off against Ozzy Open next week on Dynamite for the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships. So that match would be made official. So we have that match next week set for Dynamite. Then we would have Sammy Guevara going against John Cruz. Sammy would win the match by pinfall by using the GTH for the win. Then we go off to our main event, tag team match. The Outcast, which is represented by Tony Storm and Ruby Soho with Soraya in their corner, going against the AEW Women's Champion, Hukaru Shida, and Sky Blue. Now, Hukaru Shida and Sky Blue, they would win the match by pinfall when Ruby Soho would go for the Destination Kick or the Riot Kick, and Hukaru Shida would duck it. She would get uh, Soho into a... I want to say a roll-up or some type of cradle-style pin, and that's how Hukaru Shida and Sky Blue would get the win. Immediately after the match, Soraya would get in the ring, and you have the outcast beating up on Shida. Sky Blue would try to come in to help, but again, the numbers games was still on the outcast, and it's three on two, and they would take care of Sky Blue, and that was all three women beating up on Shida. Then you see Britt Baker run down to the ring. Britt comes down there. She's able to take care of uh, Ruby Soho, and now you have the four women that's going to be in the fatal four-way match at All In. You have Sheeta battling with Tony, uh, Soraya battling with Britt Baker. You have referees, security guards run down there to separate all four ladies. And at the end of Rampage, it'll be this style of uh, presentation. You have Ruby Soho outside of the ring, Soraya being uh, cornered in one turnbuckle. Britt in another turnbuckle, uh, Hikaru Shida in another turnbuckle, and Tony Storm in another, and you just see a close-up shot of each lady just trying to get at uh, each other, and that's how Rampage will end. They're trying to build some anticipation for the Fatal 4-Way match at All In. I like how they did that, and I hope that we see that next week on Dynamite, because that's the last Dynamite until All In that next week, so uh, we'll see what happens. Now, with that being said, that is your AEW uh, Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now before I get us out of here, I did say I'm going to talk about uh, the New Japan G1 Climax, the tournament winner. And the winner of this year's G1 Climax is Tetsuya Naito. Tetsuya Naito defeated Okada. So now Naito will be going against Sonata as it is, well, as it's presumed right now for the IWGP uh, World Championship at Wrestle Kingdom. And I didn't think it was going to be Naito. 
I didn't. I thought it was probably going to be Will Ospreay because Will Ospreay has been putting on excellent matches this past year for New Japan. And Naito, he's kind of been in and out of things. You could say Will Ospreay, he's been, as I said before, he's been carrying things. But Naito, I think New Japan is going to finally do right by Naito. Because as I said before, Naito, he won the double championships in 2020. Then uh, the pandemic hit. And then he got hit with the Drew McIntyre effect. But Drew McIntyre, at least him, he carried his championship during COVID. Naito, he didn't. Naito lost the championship to Evil, and then that never recovered for Naito, we're going to be completely honest. So I think we probably might get Naito winning back the IWGP World Championship at this year's Wrestle Kingdom. But the question will be, will he be facing Sonata, or will he be facing Evil? That's the big question mark. Because in the playoff of the G1 Climax, Evil went against Sonata. And Evil pinned Sonata, knocking Sonata out of the tournament. And usually the winner, not the winner, usually whoever defeats a champion in the tournament or beats him in a match, they usually get a shot at the championship. So really, you don't really have to win the tournament. It's great for you to win the tournament because you get a guaranteed shot at Russell Kingdom in the main event. But if you happen to be a champion in the G1 Climax, you get a shot at the championship. And with Evil knocking Sonata out of the tournament, pinning him, he gets a shot at the IWGP World Championship. So right now, it's going to be real interesting if New Japan is going to pull the trigger on Evil and say, okay, Evil's going to be Sonata once again. And then we're going to have Evil versus Naito at Wrestle Kingdom for the IWGP Championship. And we're going to have... Naito run it back again, and this time he beat the man who ended up beating him to win the championships from Naito in 2020, or they're going to have Sonata going against uh, Naito at Wrestle Kingdom in the main event, and we're going to get actually the star pupil, Naito, going against basically the underling whenever Sonata was in. Uh, Los Iguanables de Japón. Because it's going to be real interesting because Sonata, he came in as the guy who helped out Naito beat Okada for the IWGP World Championship years ago. And it's just going to be real interesting to see now as Sonata being the world champion and Naito now challenging him at Russell Kingdom, if that's going to be the plan, how that's going to go. Are they going to allow Sonata to beat his guy or are they going to have Naito beat his former uh, teammate at Wrestle Kingdom. But it's going to be interesting. It's going to be uh, fun to see. But they still have some months to figure all that stuff out. And uh, I'll be trying to pay attention to that. Again, I got to catch up on certain things with New Japan. But I'm trying to keep my eye on New Japan as much as I can. Thanks to Wrestling Ranton, I'm always able to do so. So if you have guys are not subscribed to him or you haven't checked out his YouTube page, he's a guy that's dedicated to New Japan stuff uh, priority. He covers WWE and AEW, but his bread and butter, if we're going to be honest, is New Japan stuff. So if you want to know a lot more about New Japan, go watch his stuff. And also, he's a black YouTube wrestling content creator. And there's not a lot of us that gets a lot of eyes on us. So if you could give him a look, that would be greatly appreciated. Now, with the G1 Climax thing out of the way, I do want to say this briefly before I get you guys out of here. No, I'm serious. Uh, details came out about Cash Wheeler getting arrested uh, Friday. He turned himself in. There was a warrant for his arrest apparently in July because of a road rage incident. 
And right now, as it seems, he's going to be participating still at AEW All In. And I don't know what happened. I did look it up. It's like a class uh, third degree misdemeanor. I did see that. So uh, I saw what the replications of that if he's found guilty of this road rage. Uh, guilty, five years in uh, prison and a $5,000 uh, fine. Listen here, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't think he's going to be found guilty. This thing happened in Florida. Florida's crazy as it is. I've always talked about Florida being crazy. I've said that on my Sunday episode. If you haven't catched it, I'll make it short. Florida is crazy. You can get away with a lot of things over there. Just It's a nutty uh, state to just be in if you happen to commit a crime. So again, Florida, nuts, crazy. And this thing happened in Florida. So I don't see Cash doing any time. He's going to be out he probably be on probation and with probation with Tony Khan and uh AEW being the headquarters down there in Florida I think they'll probably have some I'm gonna say they'll probably get some leeway with the justice system to probably have cash like do like some probation and just be all right with that and he'll still be able to move around in the country with AEW because I think all in's like their only like international thing and then they'll probably be around the country as usual so yeah, I think Cash is going to be all right. I think people were uh, out of pocket this Friday. People were saying that Tony Khan was stupid if they didn't know nothing about it or blah, blah, blah. But a lot of people was making fun of it, making light, calling uh, Cash really the son of Arn Anderson, the whole Glock Anderson situation, saying that <laughs> uh, Cash was bringing old school wrestling back because you hear stories about old school wrestlers doing things um back in the day on road trips and all this type of stuff. Again, a lot of nerdy stuff if you want to dive more into it, but long story less long, Cash Wheeler, he'll be at AEW All In, and that'll be great. Can't wait to see it. That'll be next week. I know I'm going to do a review on it. But now with that all being said, this has been your Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I, and I am him. I love you guys. I hope you guys have a great Saturday. Please be safe. Please be careful. Don't be a dick. And if you are in California and it's raining right now, I hope you guys have enough to stock up because I have no idea what type of flooding is going to happen over there. But, yeah, my prayers are with you guys. Please be safe. Please be careful. And uh, try to enjoy your Saturday the best that you can. Anybody else outside of California and the states that's going to get flooding over there in the west, enjoy your Saturday. Please be careful. Please be safe. Drink as much water because it's hot around here. But you know what I'm saying. And you'll catch me again tomorrow for my Sunday episode. If you don't, I'll be back here with my Wrestling House of the Week Saturday. And also, midweek episode, always Wednesdays. Now, with that being said, I'll see you guys later.